You've already heard our scripture read this morning. Our focal verse is verse 10 of Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God, God says to us. Have that in mind as we will return back to that a little bit later in this morning's message. I just thought I'd share with you a neat experience I had as I was coming into the church building today. I usually park out behind the playground and then I come in that back door near the playground. And uh, as I got out of my car today, one of our neighbors in the community was walking and she had her uh, Bluetooth on and was listening to music on her phone. And I, uh, I waved to her and spoke to her and she couldn't hear what I said. So she came closer and she turned her device off and I just I said, good morning and I'm glad to see you today. It's a beautiful day for a walk. And she lives right here in the Woodmont neighborhood. And then she said, are you the pastor? I said, yes, ma'am. And, and so we just started talking. And then uh, before the end of our conversation, she, she just stopped and she started praying. She didn't even say, can I pray for you? She just stopped. Uh, she's a member of a church out in the West End. And she lifted up a prayer for me as your pastor. And she lifted up all of you, the whole church, and she prayed that today that you would hear a fresh expression of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That made my day. You never know what's going to happen when you speak to a neighbor. So I was blessed today, and I hope that blessing uh, overflows into your heart as you are being prayed for by the sweet neighbor. Well, just in a couple of weeks, our church will gather for our very first Sunday of Advent, and we're excited. We all worship together. We have one single service through Advent, and that begins the Christian year. That's the first part of the Christian year. Unlike the regular calendar year, the secular calendar year, which begins in January and ends in December, but the Advent season marks the preparation for believers of the celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. He has come, and He has promised to come again, and we live in this in-between time. And each year as we go through the Advent season preparing for Christmas, we reaffirm our commitment to God to live as if Jesus could come any time. Following the Advent season, we, we go through the Christmas tide, and then the Epiphany season which focuses on the visit of the Magi, or the wise men, to the infant Jesus. And then we also focus on the baptism of John the Baptist and the baptism of Jesus. The beautiful stained glass window uh, that we have in our church is a very good reminder of that. And then we will move into the Lenten season, which begins March 1st next year. It's about six weeks preceding Easter. And this is a time of repentance and confession and spiritual renewal. Then there is Holy Week, which is marked by Palm Sunday, followed by Maundy Thursday and Good Friday, and then Easter Sunday when we gather to celebrate that Jesus has risen from the grave. Pentecost follows that some weeks later where we remember the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, where God gave the Holy Spirit to the followers of Jesus, and the church, church was born. And the Pentecost season lasts until the fall, up until we have All Saints Day, which we celebrated in our church last Sunday. That happens on the 1st of November every year. We remember the saints of HRBC who have gone before us over this past year. And then we come to Advent again, and we start again this church year. But between 
All Saints Day and the first Sunday of Advent, there's a day called Christ the King Sunday that we might overlook if we're not thinking about it or paying attention. I don't know about you, but we say Jesus is Lord a lot. We invite people to receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. We sing Jesus as Lord of all. So maybe it's part of our ongoing vocabulary, but I'm glad there's this little reminder here in the end of November that we can pause and ask, what does it mean for Christ to be King? In other words, is Jesus Lord really? Maybe this term is new to you. It simply means to be in control. There are two words in Scripture translated as Lord. The Hebrew one is Adonai. And you remember that when the Hebrew people are reading Scripture aloud and they came across the name of God, Yahweh, they would actually pronounce Adonai. They conditioned themselves to pronounce that so as not to be disrespectful to the holiness of God. But it means Adonai. And in the New Testament, the word translated Lord is, is kurios. Kurios. Both terms imply kingship. This means to rule or to be sovereign or to be to own or to be in control. And a person would respect and revere and serve their king. But in terms for us Christians, we have a relationship with the creator of all of the universe. And we acknowledge that even when things appear to be, appear to be chaotic or out of control, or when they are, as Psalm 46 tells us, we are reminded that God is indeed still with us, that God is indeed in control. But what about people who are not Christians, people who have not grown up in the church? Maybe this language is foreign. What about people who have given up on church or who have never been? What does lordship mean to them? What does Christ the King mean to them? How do they reconcile people in the outside of the church? How do they reconcile a religious group of people who say Jesus is Lord but often don't act like it, myself included? I believe as Christians today as in our culture, this is one of our challenges. How to represent Jesus, who is Lord over us and over all, and how to do that well in the community so as that we can build a connection point and be a bridge to God, if you will. It's challenging especially today because there is a group of people in our population called nuns. And this is not, if you're from a Catholic background, this is not the the nun spelled N-U-N, Nuns in our culture today are N-O-N-E-S, nuns. These are people who have grown skeptical of God and of religion and have identified no faith at all whatsoever. And the church, big C and little c, is trying to figure out how to build bridges to these people called nuns. They're defined, as one article states, as adults who do not identify with any religious group. And the vast majority say they were raised as a member of a particular religion before shedding their religious identity in adulthood. Some left faith in college. Others cite too many Christians doing unchristian things. 
Still others dislike organized religion. Maybe you have people in your family like that, as do I. And maybe, and, and then some of the others of the nuns are open-minded to really any belief system. And then some are just too busy to get involved in, in the local church. Recently, the Richmond Times-Dispatch in the last part of October ran an article entitled, Nuns Represent Cultural Shift. And the writer cited a new study by the Public Religion Research Institute and Religious News Service that found that the largest, quote, the largest faith category in the United States is people who say their religion is none. Did you ever think that you would hear that? That the largest group of people who say they have a religion identify with no religion. It's a religion of none. This is the first time that the churchless has reached the top status. The study states that there are three chief groups among all ages that are nuns. The the nuns make up 25% of all of these people followed by 21% Catholics, and then 16% white evangelicals, and then there are other categories below that. But nuns represent more of a percentage in all of adults than Catholics and mainline evangelical Protestants. The, The study further reports that those under 30, the gap widens. 40%, 40% of people under 30 identify themselves as having no religious affiliation at all whatsoever. This should be a wake-up call to the church. And we should be very concerned about this shift, this change in the landscape of our culture. And I wish I had an easy answer, folks. But I know that one answer lies within how you and I live our lives in the world. Do we represent Jesus as Lord? Can people see that in us? So we'll focus on that in just a few minutes. The author of this article states that many of the unaffiliated young adults say they, don't, they simply don't believe in church dogma. They don't like the teachings or want to follow the, the teachings. They're too rigid and judgmental. And then the author says, as these younger Americans advance to middle age, the churchless segment is expected to increase. It will alter the United States society It has snowballed rapidly and unexpectedly. If there is religious skepticism and a general feeling that religion is not needed among many people, especially among adults under 30, then we must take a hard look at ourselves. We must ask the question, is Jesus our Lord really? If Christian dogma is viewed as antiquated and not necessary in life, then Christ as our King may not be getting much attention out in the world. When we say Jesus is is Lord, that may not resonate with the culture today. We've got to think like like they do. How, How are they processing what happens in the world and the language that they hear? Like when they hear the word King, perhaps they think of baby George, son of Kate and William who has recently been hailed as the next in line for the King of England. We love royalty in this country. They love it even more there, so maybe that comes to mind. Or when you talk about 
someone as king, maybe they think of Elvis Presley, king of rock and roll. Thank you very much. Or maybe they think of Michael Jackson, king of pop. We have sports teams named the kings like the Sacramento Kings in the NBA and the LA Kings in hockey. And then if you've been in a play in school, there's the Lion King in a restaurant called the Smoothie King. Some of you have seen King Kong and a host of other words that use king. People can no longer simply be assumed to understand what Jesus as king or Christ the king means when we talk like that. So it really helps us to understand we've got to live it more than talk it. If Christ the king implies Jesus is Lord, then I believe the best way that we can make an impact on the nuns in our world today is to act like Jesus is Lord. For me, for me, uh, I don't do a good job of that all the time and I need God's grace and maybe you feel the same way. Forgive me for using this cliche. It is a cliche. Been around for a while, but it, I think it's relevant. If Christianity were illegal, would there be enough evidence to convict me? I wonder if they'd arrest me. We must be able to answer the question, is Jesus our Lord? And we must allow other people to see evidence of that in our lives. As we process this, I know it's heavy. As we process it, I think that some guiding principles can help. Lordship is identified with being a Christian. Lordship means yielding, if you're taking notes, yielding our lives to God. Surrendering our lives to God. Turning over the reins to God. Romans 10.9, Paul writes, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. It is yielding control to God of our lives. That's what happens when someone surrenders their life to Jesus Christ. Carrie Underwood might say, Jesus, take the wheel. Take it from my hands because I can't do this on my own. I'm letting go. Give me one more chance. Save me from this road I'm on. Jesus, take the wheel. Yielding control to God. Is Jesus Lord over your life? Is Jesus Lord over your marriage if you're married? Is Jesus Lord over your parenting if you're a parent? Is Jesus Lord over your social media activity and your media intake? Is Jesus Lord over your body? Is Jesus Lord over your activities? Is Jesus Lord over your thoughts? Is Jesus Lord over your time, your habits? Is Jesus Lord over your finances? Is Jesus Lord of all? Yielding control to God. Another help. Lordship is the work of the Holy Spirit. It cannot be our own stuff. It can't be something that we manufacture or that we just do. Lordship is from that Holy Spirit which is in us as Christians that enables us to have the power to yield control to God. 1 Corinthians 12.3, Paul writes, Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, 
except by the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit enables us to make Him Lord. And then third, if Jesus is Lord of all, we got to remember that we are not. You heard Amanda talk about that just a few moments ago. If He is Lord, and He is, then we must remember that we are not bobbly. I must remember that I am not God. And how often do I want to take control and play God and fix it or ignore it or figure somebody else will do it? I've got to remember that God is and I am not God. Psalm 46.10, the verse that we started with, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations, says God. I will be exalted in the earth. And a more literal translation of verse 10 in Psalm 46 is stop and know that I am God. Stop right where you are and acknowledge that I am God. Stop and look around you and see what I have created and acknowledge that I am God of the universe. Eugene Peterson writes in the message version of the Bible in Psalm 46, 8 through 10, attention, all see the marvels of God. He plants flowers and trees all over the earth, bans war from pole to pole, breaks the weapons across his knee. Step out of the traffic. Take a long, loving look at me, your high God, above politics, above everything. Stop and acknowledge the sovereignty of God. See, I believe verse 10 is a lordship verse. God says, Bob, stop right where you are and look around you and acknowledge that I am the creator of all that exists, that I am Lord of all, and that I am Lord of your life. And I have to ask this question of myself, and you might ask this as well. This is in your notes. Does God rule in all aspects of my life? I would like to say yes, but I identify so well with Parker, and so often my preferences are not the purposes of God. I need constant reminding. I need God's constant help to bring me back to where He is Lord and center of all. And this is a daily, sometimes a momentary thing in my life. Maybe you're like that too. And then I ask myself, do others see this lordship? Do other people see the overflow? Do the nuns I encounter in the world, wherever they are working or in school or out in the community, do the nuns see this evidenced in my life? And can I figure out a way to let them know how good the grace of God is? And then another question is, am I, are we, willing to do what is just and right in this world? Are we willing? Can we be a unifying factor in this world to bring about peace and justice and righteousness? Gospel. We are all called to give evidence of Jesus being Lord of our lives. There's a great little story um, I've used in my own parenting. When we lived up in Hanover, every day Isabella and I would walk to the bus stop, and it was about two blocks down from where we lived. And often, 
we would be walking along the curb and you would see a whole lot of earthworms that had crawled out of the lawn of the yard into the little concrete drainage area and into the street. And so we would be walking to the bus stop and we would pick up the worms, some of them, and throw them back into the yard and try to make a difference in just some of those. Isabella smiled and she remembers those days during elementary school. And the uh, and then Melanie, she she's, um, frequently fusses at me because if I see a turtle in the road, I'm going to stop. And not long ago, I was driving down Charter Colony past the Martin store where Midlothian High School is, and there was a little baby turtle crossing from my right over to the left, and I straddled it in my car, and then I went down to turn around, and then there was another car coming, and I just said, oh, Lord, please help them to miss the turtle. And they did, and I turned around and came back, and picked up the little baby turtle and put it on the side he was going to. That's what you're supposed to do. And I made, you know, a difference in one little turtle, right? Well, this mentality, I read this story about starfish some years ago. It's an old story. You might have heard it. And there was a wise man. He's a writer. And he was at the beach one morning walking on the beach. And down in the distance, he saw somebody and it looked like they were dancing. Today we would say they looked like they were doing their yoga on the beach in the morning. And he was curious, so he walked closer, and they weren't dancing, but picking up something. It was a young man. And then I got closer, and he realized that the young man was bending down and picking up starfish and throwing them back into the water. There were thousands of starfish all along the sand. And so he asked the young man, what are you doing? And the young man said, well, the tide is out, the sun's coming up, and all of these starfish are going to die if I don't do something. And so I'm throwing them back in. And the, the man who saw all of this saying, well, what difference is that going to make? I mean, there are thousands of them. And then the uh, young man reached down and picked up one more starfish, and he threw it into the water, and he said, it made a difference for that one. You see, I, I believe that God calls each of us to go out into the world to make a difference in the lives of people, and sometimes it's just incrementally one person at the time, that we are supposed to see sow seeds of justice and righteousness and mercy and, uh, and try to be a unifying factor in this world. There's a lot of division in this world, especially in our nation, and, and I believe, God, if we truly make Jesus Lord of our lives, that people will see God in us. We might be able, not be able to agree with everybody, and that's okay, but that hopefully people can agree that they see the light of Jesus shining through us in our words and in our deeds. Closing today with a scripture from Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Many of you know it well. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? The Lord, the sovereign Lord, require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And the people said, Amen. Let's bow together in prayer together.